Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. I'm so excited and it's great to have my good pastor friend Rick Bosnick here with us today. I've known Rick for about 25 years and he's currently pastoring Life Point Church in Waterford. He's been there for 19 years pastoring that church. But before that, and some of you will remember this, Rick and his wife Dana used to attend Community Christian. This was their home church back in our first building, the building we called our Phase 1 building. And Pastor Rick would preach on a Sunday morning from time to time. But in addition to that, he also produced two evangelistic dramas that we've hosted here at our church. The first one was left behind back in 1999, again in our first building, and then the second one right around the 2006 time frame here in this building, crossing over. And after both of those dramas, uh, tremendous presentations, many, many people came forward for salvation. I mean, a lot of people got saved, including my lifelong friend, Pete Pappas. He got saved back in 1999. So, so many great things, so many memories associated with Pastor Rick. He's a multi-talented guy. He can preach, he can sing, he does stand-up, tells jokes. Uh, He loves the Lord with all of his heart, and he's been a really close brother and friend to me. So I want you to give a warm homecoming welcome to Pastor Rick Bosnick as he comes. It's kind of funny how the Lord works, you know. I'm, I'm, I came in here a little earlier this morning and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and tell Community Christian to give us this screen for our church. Isn't that weird how the Lord works? <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, he provides. Thank you, Lord. I brought a little bread this morning. Uh, they told me to take as long as I like, so I figured I might get hungry in the middle of the message. <laughs> One of the good things about uh, actually preaching as a guest when you're a pastor is you get to share some things that you've learned along the way. Uh, it, it takes a long time to craft a, a, a message worth hearing, to prepare bread for God's people. And uh, when you get to share something more than once, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Uh, and I'm going to share something that uh, I have shared before that I think will be a blessing to you, helpful to you as a, as a believer. But allow me to say just a few words about my friend Tony. Uh, from the day I met you in the 90s, believe that, Uh, Until now, you've run this race with integrity. Um, You you know, the scripture says that uh, you have 10,000 teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And uh, thank you, brother, for being a father to many, a faithful one. Um, And we all know that without trees, you would likely be on the streets. We get it. (laughs) We know. God bless your sons. Chris, thank you. You were so kind to me today and helping me and uh, just so hospitable. You're also gracious to allow me to come and address you, so thank you so much. Today I want to talk to you about a type and a shadow. Are you familiar with that terminology in the scriptures? Have you, have you heard or have you read the Old Testament and are you beginning to put together types and shadows? You're seeing that you're actually living in a spiritual reality, the things that people in the Old Testament lived in a physical reality. It's a, it's a cool thing when you come into that revelation in your Bible reading. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, and they're not the reality themselves. So the whole law, the whole Torah, the whole five books of the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses, isn't even we're, we're not even to read that and think that we're supposed to do those physical things that they did, like dietary laws and all that kind of thing, because the physical reality of that is actually a spiritual reality for us. Now, just so you know, this water is not spilling; 
in case there's some OCD people that are freaking out right now. They're like, run to the altar. It's just got a wobbly bottom on it, so it won't stand up straight. So uh, relax. There's a, let me give you a couple of examples of shadows, types and shadows in the Old Testament so that you know what I'm talking about. Israel as slaves in Egypt, right? You know what that's a type of, right? That's a type of you in your battle with sin, in your struggle with sin before you came to Christ. Uh, you know, you were a slave to that. You were a slave uh, for years under the taskmaster uh, the devil, now in the, in the Old Testament, of course, in the book of Exodus, we learn that Pharaoh is a type of Satan who, you know, commands you to do things you're not capable of doing and, and puts you under uh, some kind of an edict that you're unable to fulfill, make bricks without straw, that kind of a thing. The Passover is a great type and shadow. You know, put the, kill a, a spotless lamb and put the blood over the doorposts and on the sides of the door and when the angel of death comes, he will pass over. It took me like 10 years in the faith to know that that's where the word Passover came from. I didn't even get it. it. Takes me a while. It's like my coach in high school said, Rick, you're not real smart, but you're slow. <laughs> so if you, it takes you a while, it's okay because this journey's for life, right? But the Passover, when you read it in the Old Testament, and it's so kind of wild, man, what a, it'd make a great movie. John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We're living in that reality right now. We're, we have citizenship in heaven because of what Jesus made real in our lives today. Can you say hallelujah? What about the Red Sea? The Red Sea's a great type, you know? And some of you, I re you watched it, live footage, uh, Charlton Heston's leading the people through, and, and what is that for us? Anybody know? That's our baptism. That's new life in Christ. That's the, where the new birth comes. We went through the waters. We did. Not just Moses and the crew, but we went through the waters and we have the reality, the spiritual reality in us now. What about when they were in the desert? Remember the wilderness journey when, when they're, in the, uh, they're, they're hungry, they, they're grumbling and want to go back to the world. They want to go back to Egypt and eat the leeks and the, onion, the onions and God rains bread from heaven and feeds two million people. That's a type. Jesus came along and said, I'm the bread of life right? And you're nourished by him. You're being nourished by the bread of life this morning. It's manna. Remember when they were thirsty? And God told Moses to strike the rock and water comes out of a rock. When's the last time you saw that? Friends, you're seeing it right now because he is the water that when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. That's the type in the shadow, right? But we have the reality some people say, man, I wish I could live by back then. Not me. I don't want to live in a desert, even though yesterday it felt like it. What about the promised land? What, what do you think the promised land is a type of? How many say heaven? Right? Don't be bashful. Wrong! Gotcha. Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. No, you know what? For years and years, I thought too that the promised land was a type of heaven. It's not. The promised land is a type of your life in the spirit. That's what the promised land is a type of. Now, you remember, God told Joshua, he said, Moses is dead. Now you go, and I want you to fight for what I've already given you. And isn't that what we're doing? Paul said we called it the fight of faith. And so we're here in this world fighting every kind of battle that we fight, every kind of devil that sets itself up, up against the knowledge of God, and we're here fighting to try to gain and grab hold of what God has already promised us. Church, this is profound to me as of late, that this whole journey is a picture, a mirror picture of the Old Testament, what we're walking and so now God has given us gifts of the Holy Ghost, fruit of the Spirit, and all of these things are for the taking. They are ours. And this is the way God said it. He said, I'm giving you this land, now go fight for it. 
It's a strange thing. I'm giving it to you, but now go fight for it. And it's important that we maintain our fight in this thing. That we don't just get comfortable and then we just lay, we get lazy in the promised land. And we don't realize that there's giants to kill and there's lands to conquer in the spirit. Some of those lands are your families and your neighbors and your friends. And the city, Sterling Heights, needs the Holy Ghost. Amen. Consequently, this is why our church, this is why I get to be here today, actually, is we decided that it was okay to have a Saturday morning service only in the summer, uh, just, just a Saturday morning, because the Sabbath is also a type and a shadow. And, and, the, and, and it's not the reality itself. Our true Sabbath, and you know this, is not a day anymore. It's a person, right? Our Sabbath is Jesus who came that we might rest from our works to earn salvation through the works of the law. Jesus came and he is our rest, right? I, I, I'll never forget when I first got saved, our church didn't understand that. And our, my pastor didn't understand at the time. And I went over to my, a guy's house that befriended me at the church. When I first came to the Lord, I had long, well, I had hair. And <laughs> I don't even need to mention it was long, huh, brother? Just, it, I had some. And he invited me over to his house. I remember it was after church and we had some lunch. And then uh, he was like, man, I wish I could wash my car. And I was like, what's the matter with you? Get the hose. He said, it's the Sabbath. I was like, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't raised, you know, in it. So I was like, wow, I'll wash it for you. You know, well, I don't know. Just want to be a help. Pay for the lunch or something. But I learned that, that there, there was a whole lot of people then, certainly, that believed that that was still a day and not a type, and a, 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 and rather than uh, the reality itself being Jesus. But anyway, this morning I want to share with you one more type, one more shadow that maybe is a little bit less familiar. And we're going to find it in Exodus 12. Uh, you folks used to reading the Bible here? Okay, just checking. I'm teasing. So I know we got it on the screens. And uh, read this. This is going to inspire you uh, so much just reading this passage. For seven days you must not eat, un- uh, you must eat rather unleavened bread. On the first day you are to remove the yeast from your houses. Whoever eats anything leavened from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you were to hold a sacred assembly, and on, on another on the seventh day. And you must not do any work on those days except to prepare the meals. That's all you may do. So you are to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought the, your divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat unleavened bread from the evening to the 14th. How many of you are ready to slip into a coma right now? Isn't this awful? Just reading it's awful. Can you imagine having to do it? And I, I, I used to struggle so much reading the Old Testament, particularly, you know, the end of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. How many decided 35 times you're going to read the Bible through and you quit in Numbers? You still haven't got through it. Listen, relax, okay? Don't just... I, what I do is I put Leviticus and Numbers on on my Bible that reads it to me. And then I take a nap. And I trust the Lord to put it into my subconscious. And this is why, church, this is why this is going to set some of you free. That, this passage, all that stuff, wasn't written for you. It was written for an ancient people 3,000 years ago. No wonder you're bored. No wonder we're dying when we read that stuff. Now, Paul said, listen, he did say, listen, you, you can get some examples from this and you can learn some lessons and so that we're careful not to do what they did. But it's not written for us. We don't have, why would we care about what they're going to get getting the leaven out of their houses for seven days and so forth? It's a brutal read and it wasn't written for us, but we can learn from it. So what, what I'm going to try to do instead of reading the rest of that is extract a little lesson for you this morning. 
Let me talk about leaven naturally, okay? We're talking about yeast, right? Yeast is a little bit of sourdough. That's what it is. And, it, and when you put it in a batch of dough, it ferments and it works silently, secretly, and gradually. Would you say those three words with me? Silently, secretly, and gradually until it works its way through the whole lump of dough, right? In other words, it makes the subject like itself. It affects the whole batch. Now, leaven spiritually, that's what leaven is naturally. Leaven spiritually is almost always in the scripture depicted to symbolize evil, right? The scripture always talks about putting away the leaven, getting the yeast out. It's used in the New Testament as a symbol for sin or human weakness, infirmity, that kind of thing, right? So leaven is a symbol or a type and a shadow of something that we must be aware of in the spirit. Does that make sense? Say amen if that makes sense to you. Okay. So with this in mind, I just want to talk about five types of leaven that both Jesus and Paul warns us about And I want you to keep in mind that it no longer has anything to do with eating bread uh, and with yeast or without yeast or any other dietary law or anything like that. But I did bring some just to remind you. So um, Pastor Tony, uh, Pastor Chris said I could do this. I did put peanut butter on it so that you folks, no, I I did wash my hands, I promise. All right. But (laughs) be blessed. Hallelujah. And don't hoard the bread. Share it. It's plenty here. All right. And if, you th- if you're wondering if this is unleavened bread, heck no, it's full of yeast. Praise the Lord. Uh, but I wanted to do this so that when you do eat bread, you'll be reminded of something, right? Man, that's a great Frisbee. So we're going to talk about these types of yeasts that Jesus and Paul warned us about, right? And I want you to know that when I share them, I I am looking at these things in my life very personally. So I'm, I'm preaching in a mirror, okay? Keep that in mind. Paul makes clear in Colossians 2.16, he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. What he's trying to say is these things are types. They're shadows of the reality, right? So let's talk first about, number one, the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus said, meanwhile, when a crowd uh, gathered or thousands had gathered, they were trampling one another. And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So we realize Jesus isn't talking about yeast and bread. He's talking about the teaching and the behavior of the Pharisees, which he makes clear is hypocritical. Jesus is saying that hypocrisy can act like leaven or yeast. It works silently, secretly, gradually, right? Until it works its way into its subject. And Jesus is talking now about our hearts. So what is hypocrisy really? Um, Hypocrisy, I looked it up, is the contrivance of a false appearance of virtue or goodness while concealing real character or your true inclinations. That's hypocrisy. This is sometimes, you know, Jesus is telling us that we need to be on guard against this, and not just with others, because it's easy to see a hypocrite, you know? Somebody say, I don't want to go to church because, you know, there's too many hypocrites. And I say, man, there's always room for another one. Come on. (laughs) The reality is, it's harder to detect it in ourselves than it is others because it works secretly, silently and secretly and gradually, right? And so, and so I have to continually ask myself, does my inner life truly reflect what I am portraying on the outside? Are there discrepancies between what I preach and what I practice? 
Most often, the greatest proving ground for hypocrisy is not in a church service so much as in your home with your spouse or with your children, right? I mean, I know we, can all, we all shower. Most of us showered this morning. Uh, that's good. And, you know, you, you fix your hair or brush your teeth and that kind of thing to come to church. But you know how it is at home. It's way easier to just be yourself, right? And what you portray in a church service, if you don't marry that with the way you act at home, then your spouse, your children begin to see you as a hypocrite, all right? And Jesus says, be on guard. Make sure that the way you talk to your wife is the way that you talk to your pastor. Nice, right? Who do you want listening to the way that you talk to your spouse or your children, right? Or the way that you behave when you're by yourself, the true test. Now listen, Jesus is helping us here. He says, be on guard against it. Watch out for it. Examine your heart and see if there's yeast growing there that's silent like a cancer. And it's trying to take over because yeast makes the subject just like itself. Number two, the second kind of leaven. We call it the leaven of Herod. Jesus said, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What exactly is the leaven of Herod? Most theologians agree that it's worldliness. Leaven starts out small and hidden, but left unchecked, it spreads until it permeates everything. Do you remember that scripture in 1 John that says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world? For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You remember that scripture? A lot of us memorized that thing years ago, right? We're not supposed to love the world or the things that are in the world. That's quite the challenge. And most of us want to tear that out of the Bible uh, because we don't, first of all, we don't even really know what it means. Can't we just love stuff and love things and love people? What, What are we talking about here? And I believe that what God is trying to communicate and what John is warning us about is that when we have affection in our heart that supersedes our love for God, it acts as a displacement agent. Don't love the world or the things of the world more than you love the Father because if you do, the love of the Father will not be in you. It will displace the Father. And so now your affection is toward the world. You come to church and you've got a little bit of love for the Father because it's not in you because it's been displaced by your love for things. And this is the interesting part. Jesus says, be on your guard against this. It will rob your heart. And you begin to love things and the pursuits of this world and your money and your bank accounts and your your stuff. And it's subtle. It's silent. It's secret. It's gradual. You'd never say it out loud. You'd never admit it. And Jesus says, you be on guard. What are you interested in? What grabs your affection? What tugs at your heartstrings? If you've got the sports page or, or, or the, the, you know, the financial section of the newspaper or Fox News or whatever news you watch or anything else, what, do you, what is your choice or the Word of God? You know, what, do you, what do you gravitate toward? I'm not saying you've got to read the Bible all the time, especially Leviticus. I'm saying, I'm saying where is your affection? Because that is the yeast of Herod. Love for the world. To Herod and his followers, they they called them Herodians. (laughs) Tell me he didn't have an ego. The thought was, as long as you believe in God, you're okay. It doesn't matter how you live. The leaven of Herod is inclusive. It's politically correct. People that have the leaven of Herod growing in their hearts are man-pleasers. They're scared to death to tell the truth. They'll offend somebody. There are no standards of holiness. 
I, I was getting a group of pastors together in Waterford, and uh, I've told my church this. I was, uh, what I would do is I would send a pastor a gift card, a local pastor that I didn't, I'm talking about from all kinds of different denominations. And if they wrote me back and said, thanks, then I would ask them to lunch. And I said, let me buy you lunch. So I was going out with these pastors, and then we, we got a group of about 12 pastors together, and we eat and tell jokes and swap sermons and all that kind of stuff. Wish we could do more, but anyhow. Um, so I go to this one guy, and I said, John, I probably shouldn't have said his name. Um, there's several, though, Johns. It's kind of common. I think I'll be all right. We're sitting at lunch, and he had a group of pastors he met with, and I did, and we were seeing if we could work together. And I said, well, you know, what do you believe? Like, you know, are we on the same page? I said, do you, do you believe in the Bible? He's, and I was shocked. He said, well, no. I was like, what? He said, we don't believe in the Bible. We use sections of it as lessons, but we don't believe it's God's word or infallible. And he said it as plain as day. Like, what? Okay. I, and then I thought, well, let me do the hot topics. Um, how about abortion? He goes, oh, no, we believe we're, we're totally pro-choice. I said, all right. So evolution, creation? He said, we're evolutionists. And then he, his lips started to quiver. And I'm like, this guy's being moved by what I've said is the anointing. <laughs> and then he said, we just ordained our first lesbian on our staff. And I was like... Um, who's paying the bill, the check for, for lunch here? Not really. I bought him lunch. But I, I, I thought, I didn't have this defined in my mind, but I thought, this precious pastor has been infected with the leaven of Herod. He, he has become inclusive and politically correct, and he's no longer a steward of God's word. Church, we're, we're stewards of his word. You know that. We're, we're, we're citadels. We are, we are standards in our community. God help us, church, if we don't stand on the word of God. And I know I've got four young girls in my home, and I see the, the trap that is being set for the younger generation. I see it. It is terrifying to say what you believe today. I'm old and gnarly. I don't even care anymore. But it's tough out there. I know it is. The university campus is awful. It's no longer a, a, a place where we share open dialogue. Beware of the yeast of Herod. Watch for it in your own life. Let's talk about number three, the leaven of the Sadducees. Be careful, Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We don't hear much about the Sadducees, but at the beginning of the year, uh, a man come into our prayer meeting. We had an open mic for repentance in the church. We were doing this fasting and praying thing, and, and you know how it is when you open a mic. It's frightening. It's kind of like that box, box of chocolates that Forrest talked about. You know, you never know what you're going to get. And this guy comes up to the mic, and I never saw him before, and he starts talking nonsense for 15 minutes until finally, you know, it was just beyond the point of being able to deal with it. I had to get up and, like, remove him. It was weird. And we found out later that what he was, the point he was trying to get at, and it was very weird, was that he wanted us to know that the blood of Jesus was not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And I realized that this man was infected with the yeast of the Sadducees. Because that's exactly what the Sadducees were, that's what Jesus was warning about, is false doctrine. The, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They were just religious. And Paul admonishes Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine closely. We have to be careful what we believe and what we propagate, right? It's very, very important. And then there's this 
sneaky, secret, gradual part of the yeast of the Sadducees that begins to suggest to God's people that God no longer works miracles, that God no longer does supernatural things. And so we become comfortable with this just life in the promised land that doesn't require any power or any gifts because we don't really believe it anyway. And Jesus says, he warns us, church, he warns us, beware of it. Beware of it in your own heart that you don't begin to think like they did, like like where you don't believe in anything anymore. You don't strive for anything anymore. You don't hardly even pray because, you know, you don't really believe God hears you or is going to answer your prayers anyway, and so why even do it? It works secretly. It works silently. It works gradually. And you can look back in years gone by when you used to believe, you used to pray, you used to cry out to God. You used to be a, he was a God of wonder to you and you were blown away by the things that he was doing regularly for you, but you've settled and you've become infected with this leaven that makes the whole lump like it is. Jesus said, beware. Number four, the leaven of Corinth. Paul talks about it. It's a lengthy scripture. I'm only going to read a little bit of it. Paul says, it is actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is intolerable even to pagans. A man has his father's wife. And look at the next few words. And you're proud. That's the leaven of Corinth. See, I used to think that this bizarre scripture about this guy sleeping with either his mom or his stepmom, we don't know. I mean, pagans weren't even doing it. It's bizarre. I used to think that that whole chapter was about that guy, but it's not. It's about the church. Paul's saying, this crazy thing's going on in the church, and everybody knows about it, and the church is proud that they're able to tolerate that kind of bizarre sin right in the midst of the church. That's the leaven. That's the leaven. When we get to a place as a church where our brother or our sister who's sitting right next to us is in known and consistent sin in their life and we no longer even have it in our hearts to confront them at all or deal with it in any kind of way, but we're actually a little bit proud that we have such love and grace in our heart that we can just overlook it. Isn't that something? That's the yeast of Corinth. And Paul said, listen, you do be careful of this because a little yeast works its way through the whole batch. It, Paul, this is what Paul said. He said, hand, oh my goodness. This is Paul's remedy. Tell me how this will go over. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit will be saved on the last day. Whew, what a climate we live in to do that today, huh? Tell me that wouldn't be on the front page. Local pastor hands man over to Satan. Oh, brother. Woo! It's serious, isn't it? If you know a brother or sister that's walking, I'm not talking about, you know, sin means the definition is missing the mark, right? We get that. We get that we're all on the journey. We all have to come and, and, and confess and, and, and turn from things that, that are stumbling blocks, besetting sins. We get it. We're not talking about that kind of life. We're talking about iniquity. We're talking about a lifestyle that we're just comfortable with. We're not even going to change. And the Bible says that when we get comfortable with that, with our brothers and sisters, we are infected with the yeast of Corinth. It goes actually further. I know it's not popular teaching today. There are two extremes, of course, of this. One is when someone sins, we're harsh and judgmental. The other extreme is when we tolerate everything in the name of love and grace. But leaven is a big, big deal. The other 
thing about Corinth, and some will say that part of the yeast of Corinth is just immorality in general. Immorality that the church has been involved in. So that the church, and and listen to me carefully, church, because I'm not on a soapbox, I promise. But I want to just relay the warning. Paul, the Bible still says, flee sexual immorality. Still says that. Now I remember when I, you know, we couldn't even go to the movies. When I first got saved, you had to sign a card that said, we can't go to the movies. I didn't go to the movies for like 15 years. Then finally I went to Jurassic Park. I thought I was going to go to hell. I wasn't afraid of the T-Rex. I was afraid of my pastor. If he saw me. You know how it was back then. Some of you lived in that and you, you couldn't go to the movies, so you just go to Blockbuster. How'd that slip by? So I'm not on a soapbox, but I'm going to tell you something. It is a problem when men and women of God can sit in their living rooms and watch people take their clothes off on the big 72-inch screen and not be affected by it. When men and women can look at people naked on the screen having sex and your husband or wife is in the next room trying to sleep or your kids are upstairs or worse yet, the whole family's watching. I learned that the, the, most, the, the biggest show on TV right now is uh, Game of Thrones. Is that what it's Game of, I've never seen it. But I read the IBMB or whatever that thing is called. I don't know what it is. And I, it, it is full of nudity. And it's the most popular thing on TV. Statistically, a whole bunch of you are watching it. This is all I'm saying. This is all I'm saying, I promise. Jesus said, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Because eventually, that yeast will work its way through the whole batch. And it will rob you of sexual passion even for your spouse. Because they no longer look like a movie star. Oh, and by the way, look in the mirror, because you don't either. (laughs) Right? Can somebody accept what I'm saying this morning? Is that okay? I gotta, I, I'm going to wrap this up real quick. The leaven of Galatia. The leaven of Galatia. Paul said this. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. You know what the different gospel was? That people were actually mixing the law with grace. Now, it still blows me away that 3,000 years after the law, we are still trying to put people under the law in our churches. It's weird. Very, very weird. But there's an extreme, isn't there? The pendulum always swings the other way, and anytime somebody thinks they're balanced, it's just the pendulum on the, other, on the way to the other side, generally. We have a tough time in our churches staying balanced with stuff. And so we have this, this warning from Paul that says, even if an angel comes down and preaches this to you, Let him be under God's curse. That's strong. And he's talking about the Galatians going back to the law after they came to Christ. And they were were trying to put them under the law of Moses again. I had a carpenter over at our church, actually uh, at one of the houses that our church owns. And uh, I turned the conversation spiritual. And he quickly said, listen, you ain't going to see me in church ever again. I said, what's the matter? He goes, he was raised Seventh-day Adventist, and he said that his church, they had to go to church on Saturday, and afterwards, his mom and dad would take him to the beach in the summers, and they would never let him go past his knees to swim. All his buddies would be out swimming, having a ball, and he could only go to his knees because it was the Sabbath. And he said, it ruined my life. He said, I hated it. I was so embarrassed. I'll never go to church again. That is the yeast of Galatia, putting people under bondage that Jesus set them free from. We, can I, can I, can I declare something, church? We're free! 
We're free. Now, another warning. Don't let your freedom put you back into bondage, right? With the law or with sloppy grace, where you think you can go and do nasty stuff and still cuss and lie and steal and treat people bad and engage in immorality? No. But we are free. Remember legalism? Sing with me. Legalism. Sing it. Legalism. Come on. Again. Now let me sing. You gotta wear a tie nine inches wide. Legalism. The devil's gonna get you if your hair is dyed. Hey, get that makeup off of your face. Legalism. You pierced your ear, brother. That's a disgrace. Don't do this. No, no, don't do that. Uh, Is this where your salvation is at? No, it's not. It's not. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness as well. Is this okay, church? Is this all right? Stand with me, would you? Stand with me. And I just want to pray with you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. When we speak of leaven today, we're not calling people back to practice Old Testament law. But it's a reminder of a greater truth in our hearts. I wonder if you would just bow your heads with me for a moment. Close your eyes. I'm really hoping that you'll close your eyes because I want this to be a, a truly a personal, private moment for folks in the room. My brothers and sisters, is it possible that you have allowed one or more of these types of leaven to work in your heart over the months, over the years, and you find yourself infected. You find yourself caught up in one of these types of leavens that, that's, that's running rampant in your heart and you're becoming more and more like it and you know it, and it's robbing you of spiritual vitality. Listen, this isn't a, we're all in the same boat here. Jesus warned all of us, preachers and everybody in between. We're all warned about these types of leavens that come. So let me one more time just quickly mention them. And as I mention them, I want you to acknowledge it before the Lord with a, with a full heart. You can, whatever you want to do, you can put your hand over your heart when I mention it. You can lift your hand up, whatever, however you want to acknowledge it before the Lord and say, Lord, by the Spirit of God, get this out of me. Get this out of me. The first is the leaven of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy. You're actually living a double life. And you act one way in church, you act one different way at home. And you, you have the leaven of the Pharisees in your heart. And you don't want it anymore. You're saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want my inner life to be the same as my outer life. I want my home life to be the, look like the, my church life. I, I, want, I want to be the same person in private as I am in public. When I'm alone, I want to honor you just like I do when I'm in public. If that's you, you acknowledge it in some way. You acknowledge it in some way and say, Lord Jesus, right now I renounce it. I'm getting rid of it. I'm getting it out of my house. I'm getting it out of my life. Second is the the leaven of Herod, worldliness. You've just fallen in love with the world. You, You love things. You love stuff. You love other pursuits. And you know that your affection and passion for Christ isn't where it needs to be. If that's you, you acknowledge it. Lift your hand, put your hand over your heart, whatever you need to do, and say, God, right now I'm turning from this. I want this out of my heart. I want it out of my life. 
I don't want to love the world. I don't want to displace you. I want you to be number one again in my life. Number three, the Sadducees yeast. You've been listening to off-the-wall teachers. You're out of whack. You're out of balance. You're giving spiritual leadership problems because you're reading weird books. You're watching weird programs. You're listening to, to, to preachers on TV that are screwy. Or maybe you're watching uh, you know, paranormal programs or you're watching too much History Channel giving you false stuff about the Bible, whatever it is. Or maybe it's that you just don't have any faith anymore to believe for the supernatural and you've become dull in your spirit and you're not trusting God for miracles anymore. Man, if it's you, get your hand on your heart. Say, God, get this out of me. Get it out of me. I don't want to live like this anymore. How about the, the, the yeast of Corinth where, man, you, you, there's people in your life right now that you know are in gross sin. And you're scared to death to talk to them. Or you think, man, I'm, you know, it's not love. Friends, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes somebody needs a friend that's bold enough to tell them and warn them. If that's you, admit it. And trust that God's going to give you wisdom to deal with it. And then finally, the law of Galatia. The law of, the, the yeast rather, of, of legalism. The law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus is what you want. But you've been putting people under strong, weird, legalistic teaching, and you, you're harsh, and you forgot about grace. Get it out of your heart. And I close with this thought. The warning was so strong in the Old Testament that anyone who allowed it to remain in their home was cut off from Israel. I am not suggesting for a moment that you're going to be cut off from the Lord or, by, or, or, or th- that kind of a thing. What I'm suggesting is this, that your spirit will dry up. If you allow yeast to continue to permeate through you, any one of these, it'll dry up your spirit until where you have no spiritual vitality left. And you will essentially be cut off from even knowing and feeling God anymore. Deal with it. I bless you, church. Father, Lord, help this church, help me to always be on guard against these things. I thank you for allowing us to be your sons and daughters. I pray Community Christian will be bastions of truth and hope. I bless this pastor and leadership. And thank you for the opportunity to share your word in Jesus' name. In the word of God, you'll find that there's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. You've heard me quote one of my favorite verses from the book of Romans. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. However, the scripture does talk a lot about conviction. In fact, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and one of the reasons he would come was to convict us of sin to convict us of things that need to be adjusted and corrected in our lives. And so I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit of God that can move in our hearts and bring conviction because conviction leads to correction. And we're living in a tough day, friends. We're living in a day when it's a little bit easier just to take a back seat. And it's hard for us to navigate what we're supposed to say and what we're not supposed to do. We almost get to a point where we really don't know. That's why we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And I sincerely appreciate you opening your heart during that closing reflection time in prayer to just let the Spirit of God speak to you. To just say, Lord, here I am. I want to honor you. I love you with all of my heart. I want to stand and be the man of God and the woman of God that you've called me to be. So I pray that as you continue to reflect upon this message, 
that you would allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and even convict you if need be. So what we're going to do here today is we're just going to kind of keep the sanctuary a place of prayer and reflection. You're more than welcome to spend a few extra minutes here. If you uh, want to have conversation, please uh, wait till you get to the lobby, and we'll just thank God for his determination to continue to feed us and speak to us and give us what we need. And so let me just add one more prayer to what Rick has already prayed. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God, which is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we do present ourselves before you today. And we thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for the conviction that you bring to our hearts that helps us to make correction and modification. Thank you for a congregation, Lord, that will hear your word and respond accordingly. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the earth today, how you're changing our hearts as the Holy Spirit is gathering together a group of people that will truly be the church. Lord, we want to be the church. And we know this world needs revival. That revival starts with me. It starts with the people of God. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to do what Solomon said is the most important thing, to guard our hearts, because that's where the wellspring of life flows from. I thank you, Lord, for our hearts being tender, our hearts being pliable and open to you. And I ask for your blessing, Lord, on this congregation, every member. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.